to Tea Tonic and Toxin, a book club and podcast for anyone who wants to explore the best mysteries and thrillers ever written. I'm your host, Sarah Harrison. And I'm your host, Carolyn Daughters. Pour yourself a cup of tea, a gin and tonic, but not a toxin, and join us on a journey through 19th and 20th century mysteries and thrillers, every one of them a game changer. Carolyn, Sarah, we have such a cool guest today. We do. Um, we're going to be talking about the, um, the, no, let me, let me start over. We're going to be talking about murder on the Orient Express. See, we've just started the podcast and I'm already a little flummoxed. <laughs> it's, it's that exciting, <laughs> folks. Yes. And we have Emily Schwartz, who is our guest today, which I'm super excited about. I know you are as well. You've been a friend of hers for, from what I understand, 50 to 60 yeah, years. Yeah, 50, 60 years, hoping for uh, 120, 130 yeah. later on. It seems, it seems feasible since it's already <laughs> been so so long a time. Um, so before we get too deep into that, I want to introduce our sponsor, because our sponsor is awesome. Our sponsor is great. Our sponsor is Grace Sigma. Oh, I thought it was Carolyn Daughters, I'm but not. they're both great. So I am Carolyn Daughters, and my introducing Carolyn Daughters would just be, I don't know, a little odd. So I'm going to instead introduce our other one of our other sponsors. We have more than two. We have three. <laughs> and you can be a sponsor too, folks. That's a good point. We are in the market for sponsors. You get these amazing shout outs. We will shower you with love and a lot of stickers um, and stuff. Sticker, yeah. And, and and anything else that that we have to give away, we would give away to you, dear sponsor. So yeah. be our sponsor. But today's sponsor is not Carolyn Daughters because that is me. Our sponsor today is Grace Sigma, who is Sarah Harrison. Yeah, it's excellent company. Very well run. It's yes, it's it's a it's a gem of a company. It's a boutique process engineering consultancy that Sarah started herself. Grace Sigma works nationally in such industries as finance, telecom, and government. They use lean methods to assist in data dashboarding, storytelling, training, process visualization, and project management. Whether you're a small business looking to scale or a large company whose processes have become tangled, Grace Sigma can help. You can learn more at gracesigma.com. You can and you should. Thank you, Grace Sigma. We also have a listener award today, and our listener um, is Margot Craig from Knoxville, Tennessee. Good job, Margot. Mm-hmm. It might be our first Tennessee. I'd have to double check that. We're, we've covered about 20 states and about three countries. Yeah. We're expanding. Uh, but thank you, Margot, for being amazing, for being a member of the Tetonic and Toxin Book Club. We appreciate you. And to show our appreciation, we're going to be sending you a very cool Tetonic and Toxin sticker. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Stunning. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that our guest, uh, Emily, has received one of these stickers in the past. Did you get your sticker yet, Em? Get my sticker. Oh, no. This what? is terrible. Oh, How did no. you not get a sticker? <sighs> this is full of mystery to me as well. <laughs> I wonder. No, I, I like wax seal them and stuff, so I don't know if it made it like slow to arrive. <laughs> mysterious. My The mail in Deerfield, Illinois is one of the most, speaking mm. of mysteries, mm. the most mysterious places I've ever lived. Mm. So <laughs> it usually takes six 
to seven months to receive wow. any okay. <laughs> letter. Okay. Unless it's a bill, they find me. Yeah, those, um, those arrive on time. But anything interesting is usually uh, is usually waylaid in some sort of twilight. They probably area. opened it themselves. It's a someone it's a else, sweet little package. That's what happened. Is someone else took your sticker? Yeah, they might have. Yes, and I'm gonna find them. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at that! No, yeah. definitely not. That's Unless cool. you know. Dan found it, opened it, and is hiding from me, hiding it from me in the house. He he put it on his Yeti bottle, and you just haven't <laughs> seen it yet. So that's that's exactly what's happening. Either that, or there was the usual theft. Well, now um, I just have something to look forward to, frankly. So. <laughs> so note note to self: Emily also needs a sticker. All right. Uh, to so we're going to send you one, uh, Emily, and we're also Margo going to send you one. And if you'd like your own out on air shout out. And one of these awesome stickers, all you have to do is weigh in on the books we're reading. You can comment on our website, tetonicandtoxin.com, or you can post to our Facebook or Instagram pages at Tetonic and Toxin. And be sure to be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. One final note, because we have all kinds of things for you to do. We'd appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Tetonic and Toxin. We're pretty much everywhere. We're everywhere. We're entirely everywhere. Mm-hmm. Your reviews mean everything to us, and they help mystery lovers find us and follow us. Indeed. Mm-hmm. All right. I get, I get the super exciting job this, this afternoon of reading the bio. The bio. Emily's bio. She sent me a really short bio. This is a long one. (laughs) From 2003 to 2014, Emily was the artistic director and of and resident playwright for the Strange Tree Group, an immersive and mostly macabre theater company. Chicago Public Radio called the Strange Tree Group one of Chicago's most imaginative companies in both the visual and the literary senses. For the trees, Emily pinned The Three Faces of Dr. Crippen, which won the New York Fringe Excellent Award and the Jeff Award in Chicago, an honor given to outstanding... Uh, I really, We've reworked this. So, let, let, let me just... <laughs> can artists I, in the Chicago Can area. I pause the bio for a moment? Yeah. The bio no. has been edited. The bio <laughs> has been edited. It's been edited in triplicate, honestly, and so... <laughs> It's got a lot of attention in the bio. Mm -hmm. The forensic scientist who discovered the remains. (sighs) The remains (laughs) of Cora Crippen might not actually be Cora Crippen came to the opening night uh, performance. It was a surprise, by the way. It was? I thought I didn't know he was showing up. No, he was in town for a conference. Uh, forensics conference and he saw that this play was premiering that (gasps) night uh, about all of his um it's dr david fran so his you know his work and his study on the crippen case and so he showed up and introduced himself to me and i had just spent a year and a half doing research on this case maybe two years at that point and i was just kind of immersed in all of it and had my own theories his theory was the opposite to mine, obviously with scientific data. So I asked him that night, I said, hey, you're here. Will you do a post-show talk with me? And we can kind of go back and forth on what we think about Dr. Crippen. And so we got to do that. It was a really unexpected, cool That's so moment. cool. Did he just yeah. get there early and yeah. seek you out? Yep. 
that's what he did. That's awesome. I'm so glad he did that instead of like arriving late and not. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just sneaking in and sneaking yeah, we're out. like whoops. I don't agree with that a, play. <laughs> very good sport. That's awesome. Yeah, Emily got to debate him on what actually happened with the murder. Other critically acclaimed productions include The Dastardly Ficus and Other Comedic Tales of a One Misery, Mr. Spacky, The Man Who Was Continuously Followed by Wolves, and The Mysterious Elephant. You can still find productions of her work across the country. The local Denver theater group, The Catamounts, We Are in Denver, folks, and that is our local theater mm-hmm. group, has performed both Dr. Crippen and Mr. Spacky. Today, Emily is mostly a professional event planner and mom to four-year-old Henry, to whom she is passing on her love of the strange and unusual. She recently wrote an adaptation of Alice in Wonderland for the Latin School of Chicago and is working on a children's book. Emily has known Sarah for approximately 50 or 60 years, and we are thrilled to have her as today's guest to discuss Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. Bum, bum, bum. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thank you so podcast. much for having me. Thank you for um, working with us on that bio. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot going on. Um, but before before we get into everything that's going on with Emily mm-hmm. and herself, I want to read a short summary for anyone that maybe has not. For the three people on the planet yeah. who don't know what Murder on the Orient Express is or what happened. Yes, it is Agatha Christie's, one of her most famous detective novels, published in 1934. The story follows renowned Belgian detective Hercule Poirot, who embarks on a journey from Istanbul to Calais. Did I say Calais, right? Yeah. Okay. Aboard the luxurious Orient Express. Just after midnight, a snowdrift stops the train in its tracks. By morning, it's discovered that an American tycoon named Ratchet has been murdered in his compartment. He has been stabbed a dozen times, even though his door was locked from the inside. With communications cut off from the outside world, Proro agrees to investigate. Proro quickly discovers Ratchet's true identity. Next, he conducts interviews with a train filled with suspects, many of whom seem to have had connections to the victim. Proro's brilliant deductive skills lead to a surprising and morally ambiguous resolution leaving readers to question the nature of right and wrong. Agatha Christie wrote 66 mystery novels, 33 starring Hercule Poirot. His books are outsold, her books, not his, are outsold only by the Bible and Shakespeare. Today we're excited to talk about Murder on the Orient Express. It's our 11th book selection of 2023. Just one more. You can find more information about Murder on the Orient Express and all our 2023 book selections at ttonicandtoxin.com and on Facebook and Instagram at ttonicandtoxin. Mm-hmm. <sighs> wow. <laughs> That's a lot. That was, that was a lot of information. And so, Emily, I think you're a mystery lover. I mean, you're obviously, you're writing mystery. You, you, I am a mystery lover, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, tell me about, like, why you love mysteries, what, you know, what, what, what draws you to them. And tell me about your experience, if any, with Agatha Christie. 
Um, so my mom is a librarian. So mm. she started working in the library when I was about 10. And all through my life, my mom, one of her favorite stories was that she had read every single book in the children's section of the library in Terre Haute when she was a kid. And so then she moved on to, you know, the adult books at a very young age. And the first section that she really latched onto was the mystery section. Mm. So she uh, was a, an avid mystery reader lover mm -hmm. and then so when I was a child we would watch PBS mystery <laughs> all of the time so that was kind of my first introduction to the genre with the lady the Edward Gorey drawings and she's on the tombstone and <laughs> wasting away uh -huh. and so that became kind of a core part of my personality and um, growing up in Indiana really helps uh, love mystery, I, I, which is funny to say because you think of Indiana, you're like, it's a sunny day. There's cornfields everywhere. What happens in Indiana? Mm -hmm. But I think Indiana is a very strange <laughs> and mysterious place. I don't know, Sarah, if you would agree with me on that, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's the site of some funny mysteries. It is. I think that, like, personally, though, whenever I go back to Indiana and it's the full moon over a you know, long empty road, and there's a bunch of cornfields that really speaks. Yeah, I do love parts. that. I love yeah. the country out there's, there. There's a lot of ambiance there that I think. <laughs> <is something. laughs> I don't live in Indiana now. My parents still do. I'm I'm in Illinois, outside of Chicago, but I do miss it. So when I go back, that sort of excitement of that's why I started writing because I'm like Indiana's a great weird place. Sure <laughs> there's a lot of strange things mm -hmm. that happen here um i've read agatha christie um periodically mm -hmm. through my life i actually had read murder on the orient express when i was much much younger i think like maybe i was 14 or 15 mm -hmm. i read it for the first time and so it was fun to you know reintroduce myself to this one um and I really have loved, you know, and then there were none mm -hmm. um, was one of my very favorites. Mm -hmm. So I reread that one again recently, too. And I need to dive in. This is my like, only Perot, which is funny. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. I've so. never read any of hers that weren't Perot yet. Really? Yeah. yeah no. We have some coming up. Is it next year that we get Miss Marple? No, no. Ooh, but uh, next year we get <laughs> and then there were none, which is no Poirot. Oh, Ooh, yeah okay. yeah i love it. and then there were none mm -hmm. it's really good it's yeah it's yeah it's for me and then there were none has i don't want to spoil that book we're gonna don't cover it next it. next year i'm gonna spoil it for Sarah. don't spoil it i haven't read it but it has <laughs> some similarities to murder on the orient express there's a mm -hmm. bit of a shocker um so i read murder on the orient express a second time i don't remember when i read it last some some huge number of years ago and for me the solution of the mystery is obvious coming back to it mm -hmm. and of course i've seen the kenneth branner um film i've seen yeah yeah the 2017 i've seen the 1974 which is amazing um so i've seen both of those and then you know i've read it before so it's kind of in my own um cultural history or, or knowledge base so it was so obvious. I mean, how did you both feel? I'll let Emily answer first. Oh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> which is so funny because I had read it before mm. and I, I, just like a foggy remembrance, right? It's, it's over t like 20, 
five, whatever year longer, probably years ago that I actually read it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm reading it again. And I, I listened to it this time as an audiobook, but mm-hmm. that was read by Dan Stevens. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've listened. Mm-hmm. Guys, if you're gonna listen to an audiobook, listen to one read by Dan Stevens. He was so great. Do you know, oh. Dan Stevens is the um, he's actor um, who played Downton Abbey. Abbey. Yeah, he's Downton Abbey. Oh. Yes, yeah, so that's what he's known for. Mm-hmm. But he's a really wild actor and like his 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 character work and things he mm-hmm. was in the like something that people would know that will ferrell movie about um the singing competition which is i'm blanking on eurovision so oh. he's hilarious in that he's bizarre and his voice work is so wonderful with all these different characters uh-huh. it was just i don't call things a treat a lot because <laughs> i am not a 70 year old woman uh but i will say that that was a treat so okay. um Highly recommended. Yeah. Um, so I have to say, I remi- I, I knew sort of where it was going, mm-hmm. but I kind of went on for the went along for the ride. Okay. And when it was revealed again to me, it was like, oh yeah, I, yeah. I do remember this, but I was surprised at how surprised <laughs> I was because, especially because it's in such a pop culture mm-hmm. thing. It wow. it um, is, and Sarah, just say it because you know on you know you want to spoil the ending, so just do it. <laughs> okay. Spoilers, everyone. Well, yeah, our episodes, our book episodes, always have spoilers. But um, so huh. I, so I I have a hard time answering this question because mm-hmm. like I'm not sure like what constitutes solving it. Like, what do I have to know mm-hmm. to say that it was really obvious? Because uh, Caroline and I were talking about this a little bit before. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, Proro makes this leap, He, f- which we probably need to talk about how, like, burning the paper allows you to read the words on the paper. Anyway, I don't understand. <laughs> did they write it in lemon juice? <laughs> like, that? I have some deep questions as well. Yeah. <laughs> did they not see- so anyway, he sees this paper, something about uh, Daisy Armstrong, and immediately he goes, this isn't Ratchet, this is Cassetti from the case. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what? that's a leap. <laughs> That's a really big leap. Uh-huh. For it's not like you can Google him and be like, oh, "There he is." Yeah, that that's... was Cassetti after all. Mm-hmm. And so it's... he makes this leap, which I, I think the reader would never, ever, ever be able to. But then Caroline, you're like, "Well, they give you that," and I was like, "Is that a gift? Is that what they give me?" But or that's <laughs> it was a gift, so that's why they give it to the reader because otherwise the reader could never have. I mean, we don't know about this made-up story. It's based on mm-hmm. the Ling- Lindbergh yeah. baby story. Mm-hmm. But it's a made-up story for the book, so we would have never known it. So somebody has to reveal it for us as the baseline of... So the the words that show up are something like, and I don't have my book in front of me. Oh, it's member Little Daisy Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, or it says A-I-S-Y or something like that, yeah. A-R-M-S. And, mm-hmm. and you see like this truncated version of her, of her name and... and Poirot sees it and he and knows instantly, oh, this is Daisy Armstrong and oh, this guy is Ratchet. Or Ratchet Cassetti, is named. Yeah. This is Cassetti, who was the head of a mm-hmm. gang that is responsible for having kidnapped and eventually murdered this small child. Yeah. Like, how do you know he's a mastermind anyway? How do you not know he's like one of the goons? I don't know. So if we go with that was given mm-hmm. to us as a given, um, mm-hmm. th- then still like... Did I have a sense that more than one person stabbed him? Yes, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> they go into details about mm-hmm. all of the kinds of stabs over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. 
was it as obvious, like to the point of saying that crazy Mrs. Hubbard was, you know, the grandmother of Daisy? Mm -hmm. No, I never would have saw that. Yeah. <laughs> like, he definitely had to tell me the details. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the only thing that that was pretty clear was that multiple people, but even if, even so, if I was like, well, a few people or all the people stabbed him, it, it was neither. <laughs> It's like <laughs> all but one, and that one was replaced by, by her husband. Her husband, right, yeah. so that it would be because she's the most. Oh, la, 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 la. So, so we have a jury of twelve, essentially, yeah. that stab this guy, and that's why some look like a woman stab or a man mm -hmm. stab or left-handed or right-handed. This one's deep, and this one is barely scratching, you know, his skin, and that's why we have all of these different stab wounds. And in reading it the second time, the whole time I'm reading it, and I have all of this lifetime of information about murder on the Orient Express, but the whole time I'm reading it, I'm thinking, this is obvious. How could anyone not get how... Like, which part was obvious? That that there's multiple stabbers or like also to the nth degree Every of single person solution. is on this. So there's this very small group of people in this car, relatively small, and every single person has a connection to... The Armstrong family. To this man. Yeah. Um, I agree with you, Sarah, to me. In the fact that like when I was reading it again, I think that this, that it was, uh, I do agree that it's obvious that it's multiple people, but the full put together story is something where I could not, I couldn't recall like what the exact like story was mm -hmm. of, of how the characters associate back to the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They um, match them all up to like, who is the housekeeper and mm -hmm. the second governess. And... Mm -hmm. Do you think <laughs> yeah. it's obvious Carolyn a, because just the pop culture, like that you, that it's been like living in you for so long, or if you had read it back in 1930, whatever, yeah, without any pre styled versions of this story happening before. I don't know. I, that's a good question because I think at the time nobody had done this before. Mm -hmm. What she does in this book, nobody had done. So I think I would have been wired in 1934 when it was published to think, okay, 11 of these are red herrings. This is the real killer. It's this, mm -hmm. it's Princess Dragomiroff, or it's like this <laughs> random person. It's Cyril Hardman. And um, so it, it's a little bit like the murder on, of Roger Ackroyd which we discussed earlier this year, where the impossible... Have you read it? Have you read it? I have not read The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, so I avoided the episode because okay, I we don't haven't read it. Oh, yeah. won't I, I won't you. spoil it. But, but I'll, I'll... It, you, know, you know what? You can, because this is your podcast, and I've waited the <laughs> No, it's, the, feel, feel it's the best twist of all time, I think. <laughs> I heard it, it, I've heard it's wonderful. It's so the I've best twist. I, don't, I'd feel, I would feel mean to spoil and it. So Agatha Christie does that better than anyone, and she showed every mystery writer since how to do it. She, like pulls a fast one on the reader. So the reader is shocked and you're either at the end in awe of her or you're annoyed by her. <laughs> and um, with Roger Ackroyd, there are two camps. There are the, oh, come on now. That's, you can't do that. And the other camp, which is, oh my gosh, she's amazing. I'm in camp too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, my whole life I've been, you know, since, since I've been reading her, whatever age that was to the current day, I've been in awe of her. But yeah, yeah. I think there was there were two things in terms of figuring out, and that's that more than one person stabbed this guy. 
un, un, unknown amount to me, mm-hmm. but also that there was a collusion afoot because they kept going over and over again, like, the train's always empty this time of year. <laughs> How is it fully booked? <laughs> the train's always empty this. Mm-hmm. It's just fully booked. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, okay, there, there's some kind of collusion in multiple people here, but as far as kind of like the beauty of how it lays itself out there's mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. no i could not have it's the initial what is that the mary debenham and the i always say the name wrong the captain oh um, are both not the colonel are both Arbuthnot. not yeah, yeah. colonel yeah so oh, yeah, them meeting with poirot in the background at the beginning is such like mm-hmm. it's another of gift right because you're like hey reader there's clearly something else going on here (laughs) these two are very intimately talking but not like strangers what could it be right um so you know that's that's a huge tell that everyone is linked in some way Mm -hmm. it's it's like the the opening door of like hey if you really think about this you're gonna meet a cast of kooky characters (laughs) all are intertwined in some fashion yeah one connection I thought was cool, Emily, was that this was based on a real crime. And then you mm-hmm. wrote Crippen based on a real crime. So I wanted to hear, like, you know, I've known you through all of that, but I've never actually asked you. Like, what was that like? Tell me about, like, researching this murder case and how you put it together into this um, mystery um, theater Yeah, production. no, it was, it. it's a super interesting case, uh, Dr. Crippen. Um, was accused of murdering his wife and burying her in the cellar and then running away to America with his uh, secretary, Ethel Lenove. So it's the first case of a criminal captured by the use of the Marconi uh, telegraph system. So there mm-hmm. was this, it's also the first case where um, there was, and because of the Marconi, an instant like worldwide news of where this person was and it was a sea chase basically so Mm. it was very it was the first kind of like action news now you know ford bronco of its time chase of like they like it's a sort of like chasing him across the sea to watch him get captured Mm. um so there's a ton of information and you know as i was writing it i collected you know old um, newspaper articles of the time. I'd, I'd hunt down antique books with information. I have like a whole stack of just kind of Dr. Crippen info. And so I kind of do- dove into um, the what and the why of, of why and all the, the forensic information that had just come out that year that I was writing. The why play, was, which was new forensic really information coming out? They had found some skin <laughs> they had an old piece of skin that they were able to do from the pit, basically, in his cellar. So at the time, this piece of flesh had kind of been passed around and stored in a really, um, it was just, you know, not the most airtight of manners for the last century. So really kind of still mm-hmm. using this same piece of skin and flesh to kind of determine that, hey, this maybe wasn't a woman, maybe it was a man. And so the science around it is, I'd have to refresh myself on it at this point, because at this point, it's been a decade since I've, I've, I've written the show. But um, it was one of those leaps and bounds of scientific, like, kind of, to me, sort of like, mm-hmm. maybe it's this, and that proves it's not her in the cellar. So I think, I wish that I could give you like, 
fresh information from my brain, but it's been so long that since I've, since I've actually written it, that it, that it really was to me that it was Cora down there. It's never been officially confirmed that it was her. Um, so it was interesting kind of just making a choice and running with it when we wrote the show. So we had a lot of workshops with the cast around it. We kind of sat other people. I'd share the articles with the, with the theater company that I was working with and we'd all come together and kind of talk through different scenarios and what we thought happened. And as a group, we kind of all landed on this version of the story. So that is that as clear as mud. Oh, it's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. What made you land on Crippen as like what you wanted to write about? I always loved those strange fact books, you know, so like as a child, it's sort of like, what's, what's a weird and interesting story. So just kind of collecting those, you know, so as a kid that was reading like Lizzie Borden information, the <laughs> Scylla axe murders and um, Crippen just sort of fell into my weird news plate. And um, we wrote it for a Steppenwolf, uh, theater company's new company rep. And so what you would have to do every year is really pitch something fairly fantastic. And at the time, we as a theater company did these shows that were pretty much purely based on you know, stories that I would create. We hadn't done anything based on a real or true story in the past. So I would... Um, make up things like Mr. Spacky, the man who was continuously followed by wolves, um, was still sort of a murder mystery. And we do it with music in a band. But everything that we were known for was this very dark, kind of funny, macabre, musicale style of theater. And Crippen fit right into that pocket. And it was a true story. So we pitched um, with the three faces of Dr. Crippen, three different actors played Dr. Crippen. So you'd have his public personality, his private personality, and his fantasy personality, the vision of himself. <laughs> so we'd have this like uh, series of three running throughout the production. The stage was three periactoids that would switch the scene. There were three actors on stage. It was just very much like there were three different acts of the show. Um, so it it was just an interesting way we la- to to tell the story, and um, it was really fun. The cast was great. It was it was just sort of a ball to do it, and um, I hope it gets picked up again soon. There's possibility it'll be done in 2024. So, we've had people at Edinburgh Fringe do it. The Catamounts in Denver did a wonderful job oh, with awesome. it. Yeah, um, taking it to the New York Fringe and then the Chicago Run. So it's been done a few places. That's so cool. That reminds me. Have you read the book we did a couple months back, Malice of Forethought? Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of Crippen, like his public persona, mm-hmm. the likable doctor, his private persona, like I can't function, Julia, tell me how to live my life. And then like his his fantasy self, like this epic, mm-hmm. best at everything, getting knighted doctor that he... That's- fantasized about himself it's very similar yeah so that's funny that's (laughs) that's bizarre that was was actually a real person and his name was crippen yes yes well that's why the book felt so real yeah maybe you know maybe yeah holly harvey dr holly harvey crippen Hmm. that's funny Mm -hmm. well carolyn you made a note of stereotypes in the book. Well, I mean, yeah. So the book is 
um, makes tons of references to America. Murder on the Orient Express, Express makes tons of references to America and what America means to various characters. And then, you know, there's a swarthy Italian man and, you, you know, the, the British characters, Miss Debenham and Colonel Abuthnot, um you know, they seem to feel disdain for Poirot and really discount him. And so there are all these different nationalities represented, which is what helps tip Poirot off to the fact that this is based on an Amer- an earlier American crime. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can't forget the Italian. <laughs> yeah, the swarthy, yeah, yeah. The swar- swarthy Italian. The man. train owner was sure it was the Italian because they used the knife. Or it could have been a woman. Yes, but it was so frenetic. Yeah, it could have been a woman. Weapon. Yeah. yeah. Plus poison. Mm-hmm. So, you know. <laughs> Agatha yeah. Christie. Yeah. Is there like some thought to, for that you guys have given in terms of obviously, you know, the time in which something is written is going to impact the phrasing and wording. But like, is there a thought of Agatha Christie's like casual sort of racism in her books? Or is it more like just her her commentary on the different nationalities and you know just i i haven't read further into her so yeah. i'm curious if that's a, a theme across all books or because this is so focused on the nationalities of the characters and the blending of the characters in america if that's specific to orient express i don't know enough about what Ag- yeah. agatha christie herself thought um none of the characters are really developed in a three-dimensional way so it's it's not as if we truly know Mrs. Hubbard, for example, we, Mm -hmm. you know, we get we get glimmers of each of these characters, which is it it makes it very, it made it very easy for me to keep track of all the characters. So that's genius. (laughs) It also made it very hard for me to really connect with any of the Mm -hmm. characters. So as is often the case for me, I, I connected with Poirot and maybe not as much with anybody else in the book. Um. Well, and Poirot doesn't solve crimes in that way. Mm. So you're hearing kind of all these stereotypes from different mm-hmm. people with their different mm-hmm. thoughts. But I mean, other than kind of deducing that the ethnic mix is a little bit more American than you would find elsewhere, you know, mm-hmm. that's not how he kind of moves forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of the books we've read, you know, if we've been following through time, you've, you have seen this sort of feelings about Americans Mm -hmm. emerge, especially those written from a British perspective, which is most of them, Mm -hmm. you know, the American comes out as usually like kind of a crude and uncouth type millionaire who's boring or (laughs) Mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, But I always find myself and so this is, this was a little bit strugglesome for me. I always find myself when I'm reading about Americans, I kind of reflect and I think, does this ring true? Mm-hmm. Are Americans like this? Are Americans not like this? Does this have a sense of American? And of course, we are dealing with. What are we dealing with? <laughs> is, it, is it a cult? Is it a stereotype? Is mm-hmm. it a cultural tendency? Is is that a synonym for the same thing? Yeah, I'm always reminded. I went to uh, I went to Italy a million years ago, um, like twenty. I was twenty years old, and I went. And um, I'm a very quiet person. And I would get off the bus quietly and do my things quietly. But not everyone on the tour was. <laughs> Some of yeah. my American friends would get off the bus and be like, ciao. 
<laughs> like, like they really say chow that's hilarious and it's yeah. just so loud i would scurry away and i would think this is why people say things about america uh-huh. <laughs> yeah it's based in truth i mean sometimes yeah. not me yeah. but the loud ones <laughs> but also like in murder on the orient express you could see how being able to channel stereotypes helps you create a big old bunch of characters in mm-hmm. a real short time and then you know you, you can develop the story from it 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 shorthands a lot of stuff that would take a whole lot more time to develop in another way so we can we can look at this different group of characters and and like uh, understand them or you know pick them out almost we can almost see them well, we can see them because, of course, there are multiple films of, of this book, um, which is, I mean, one of the things that is super interesting to me is um, the 2020, 20, no, I'm sorry, 1974, there's a 1974 mm-hmm. and there's a Kenneth Branagh 2017. The 1974, um, I almost think... This is going to be crazy. I'm so sorry, everybody. Uh, please, so, everybody, forgive me. It's potentially better than this book. Really? Oh, I know. I can't believe I just said it. All right, it. get off the podcast. I've got it. So, everyone, I've got to run. It's been lovely. Uh, Sarah and Emily are going to, you know, see us out, and that's great. Um, what do you love about it? That what is what sticks out to you? It's, I mean, it's an all-star cast. I pulled up the cast here, but Albert Finney's um, Poirot, he's amazing. Lauren Bacall, Ingrid mm-hmm. Bergman, Jacqueline Bisset, um, John Gielgud, Sean Connery. I mean, Anthony Perkins. The list is huge. Vanessa Redgrave. They're all amazing in it. So it takes these stereotypes that are on the page, which helps you understand who they're meant to be, but doesn't make them come alive. And it actually makes them come alive. So they're so snapshotted in the book that actually being able to see that, you know, to be able to see Lauren Bacall strut across the stage as Mrs. Mrs. Hubbard, you know, chomping her gum or whatever she's doing. And, you know, with her crass American accent and and daughter talking about her daughter constantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the movie, it's I think it's her husband, her dead husband. Oh, Oh, really? I think they change it. But yeah, in the book, it's, you know, my daughter, my daughter says, I I ran it by my daughter. Do you think that's so, so Mrs. Hubbard is one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. of this book, yeah. but it, it, cause it's such a, you know, twist too, that you find out it's, it's a, it's such a trick of the yeah. book to find mm-hmm. out who she really is mm-hmm. um, as the mother, you know, of the woman who had the murdered daughter. But if she's mm-hmm. saying my daughter, my daughter in this comedic way, the entire time that really, you know, like mm-hmm. to think of the character who mm-hmm. really did lose her real daughter, mm-hmm. that choice in the book really yeah. stuck out to me is, a very deeply hard choice Mm -hmm. and I don't know how they handle it in the 2017 version if it's not her daughter in 1974 that's an interesting choice and I wonder why they yeah why they they changed it yeah Yeah, why did they change it because it's such an emotionally Mm -hmm. deep and complex choice to make for Mm -hmm. that character that you wouldn't Mm -hmm. see on the surface of reading this book because it's it's supposed to be funny it's used for comedic effect through most of the book but then you get to the point of like oh crap that her daughter was murdered and her granddaughter is murdered and here she is talking about all the wonderful things that her daughter told her to do on this trip and it's really tragic yeah so did 
in the I don't know I haven't seen the 2017 version I don't know if either of you have I'm curious <sighs> if they made that same choice I I saw it s- several years ago okay. and meant to rewatch it and I will but haven't rewatched it before this yeah. podcast I found myself really frustrated by it and I also recently saw um, the a haunting in Venice. Oh, don't tell oh, me what happened. I won't. I won't tell you what happened. I'm happens, gonna go see that. But now. it's very different than the book, as we had heard really? in an in an interview with Karen Pierce. Yeah, yeah. She said it wasn't the preview looked too scary for me, but she said it wasn't that scary. So no, I didn't feel it was. Tina Fey is in it. It's I know. I thought it would be scary. really funny. Did you see the preview though? It I has did. scary hair. I well, <laughs> you're a horror person, and I've come to the realization in my old age that I really am not. <laughs> I mean, the scariest thing in that preview to me was Tina Fey trying to do dramatic acting. <laughs> it, that, it actually is scary in the, in the movie as well, in case you're wondering if that carries through. Oh, no. Um, I love Tina Fey. I don't want to say I know. that. I love her. I do, too. I love her. Um, Tina, I love you. Sorry, <laughs> but it he's he's so everything feels so again I know Kenneth Branner write me uh Tetonic and Toxin Carolyn Daughters um it feels <laughs> it just feels so overproduced okay, everything okay, feels okay. so like overdone I want to ask I you about the, that though oh go ahead on the Nile no I was just gonna say mm. it, was very, it was a similar I had a similar reaction uh, it looked beautiful in the trailer and I thought oh this is so delightful Agatha Christie how mm-hmm fun and warm and it's funny to say that a murder is cozy but agatha christie is yeah. very cozy it's a cozy type of murder to watch and if you do it beautifully mm-hmm. how can you how can you lose except yeah. when you lose because this is not they're just not done very well yeah i don't know i wanted to ask you about that though too because you had made the comment to me about the kenneth Branagh production being mm-hmm. like it's too star-studded it's too ornate it's too grandiose it's too mm-hmm. hollywood but then I was reading this excerpt about this 1970s version. Yeah. And that's kind of what it was doing. Like every single person was a star. It like was really hitting all the nostalgia buttons for the time. But I think it it followed the book. It really honored the book. It honored Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie herself saw this performance that saw the movie and thought Albert Finney was a- an ideal Poirot, he was amazing. And I think one of her only complaints about him was that his mustache was not quite as um, <laughs> I you know, <laughs> that. dramatic as, as it could have been. But yeah, it, it really, so you brought in this amazing cast, but you didn't play with amazing material. And Kenneth, Kenneth Branner does. Just even, I see him and I don't see Poirot. So that's, mm-hmm. first and foremost, that is a showstopper for me. But then it's just the lights, the scenery, the, everything is so, it's almost too perfect. It's just so Hollywood stylized, which is really his thing, mm-hmm. I think, which he does extremely well. But I don't know, maybe I'm more of a traditionalist or, um, you know, as we already alluded to earlier, you know, you said, well, I'm not a 70-year-old woman, but, you know, maybe I am a 70-year-old woman. I don't know. I'm like, oh, this the way he's really it's redone, a treat. <laughs> redone that yeah. book. It's, it's, yeah. Well, that's what I was wondering. I, I was, is it, is it because it's too Hollywood? Mm-hmm. But what was the old one? Was it any less hollywood I mean, it was British at the time, though, being because it's, it's equally star-studded for mm-hmm. its time. But to our time, they're not well-known characters so much. I know I, mm-hmm. I know Sean Connery, I know Lauren Bacall, but I don't see them all the time. 
No. So is it, is it some distance, or is it really the handling of the material? Is it the so? CGI that Brana uses? I mean, I don't know how oh, style, right? Like, do you need CGI to tell Murray, Murder on the Orient Express? You don't. No. But nowadays, where it's like, if you can do a cool shot hovering above a train car room, you know, I and maybe it's. I know there are people who really like the 2017 version. I was reading a bit about oh, yeah. it before we got on the podcast today. Yeah. I've seen the 74 version. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like it, um, but. I have not yet seen the new one, so I can't really speak to it. I just know I, that there's a real camp that loves it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think so in thinking about this right now, live um, on on our podcast, <laughs> which is when I do <laughs> yeah. apparently my best thinking, um, <laughs> I think I think the 2017 takes me out of the story and I'm aware. So I, I see the hand of the director. I see the hand of the writer. I see the produce. I see the production and I'm amazed by all of it, but I don't want to see that. I want to be immersed in the story. And so there's this wall there for the 2017 for me that prevents me from being immersed in this story. Mm-hmm. And this is a challenging story to get immersed in because we all know the story. So when I watch the 1974, version, I am immersed in it. I don't feel that wall. I'm not aware of all of the other hands playing their roles and putting this thing together. I can't picture the dude with the camera on the side of, you know, off screen. I can picture all of it with Kenneth Branagh. I can picture, you know, the staff and the 100 people surrounding this set sort of thing. I can picture the set. Mm -hmm. It it takes me out of the story. That makes total sense. It's, you know, there's so much going on in the story. Do you need that much icing on the cake? I don't know. No. So this podcast maybe officially recommends the 1974 version. <laughs> 74 I, I don't know if I've even seen either of them. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My brain is... At least one sad. half of the podcast. Maybe. One half, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the half of the podcast that thinks it's better than the book. <laughs> I, you know, formerly my mm-hmm. host, Carolyn Dodd. I know, I'm, I'm going to be driven out of the podcast at this point. So this is my final podcast, everyone. And it's been fun. Almost two years. I didn't make it a full two years, but that's okay. It's almost two years. It's good. I'd be so curious to see what you think of the audiobook, Carolyn, yeah. with, with Dan Stevens. Yeah. Because that really, it took me back. I don't know, whatever it was, mm-hmm. man, constant listeners, go ahead and grab a Mm. tonic or a tea and sit by the fire and listen to that thing because it's delightful. No, I want to. Yeah, <laughs> you make a good case. I want to too. And I rarely listen to fiction on audiobooks. Mm. Well, Emily, we are at time and it has been oh, del- wow. I know. <laughs> How did that go so fast? I didn't even get to talk about Poirot not waking up when 12 people entered a room <laughs> next to him the entire night. He's a sleeper, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, it's mm. like, wait, weren't you already awake and wasn't the train stopped how did he not hear a door open and close 12 times we, sh- we should all sleep so soundly yeah there's a couple questions exactly. i have about pro on mm-hmm. this honestly mm-hmm. but um so many sleeping drafts <laughs> <laughs> yeah well emily we we hope you'll stay for our second episode and we can talk about all yes. of those things <laughs> with Perot. And until then, listeners, please stay mysterious. 